Welcome to episode 6 of the True Shoops Podcast. As always, I'm Dan Aquino with another great episode for you guys today. We're at the point in the offseason where free agency signings are pretty much all done, and we're still almost two months away from the official start of training camp. So frankly, there's not much to talk about when it comes to the NBA, at least not anything of real substance. Luckily, we have the preparation for the FIBA Basketball World Cup taking place with the tournament starting Friday, August 25th. And the conversation about this team has mostly been about the makeup of the roster, the players involved, and stuff like that. And I always find this conversation funny because I knew back a few weeks back when they revealed the roster that people were going to be up in arms about who was playing, why isn't so-and-so playing, why is this player playing. And people got to understand how USA Basketball has functioned for the better part of the past 20 years, ever since... We lost in Athens in 2004. We won the bronze, which to USA Basketball, that's a loss, given that we've dominated international play for the better part of the last 30 years. What USA Basketball does is they groom their players, and that's a weird phrase to use for what they do, but it's exactly what they do. They have teams all the way down to high school level, and basically they're bringing players up through this system as they level up in basketball from when they're in high school to college to the NBA. So a lot of the players that you see get chosen for the FIBA World Cup roster, for the Olympic roster, are players who have been in the USA basketball system. They are building teams, not necessarily just building a collection of talent. And I think we've kind of forgotten that. Now, of course, The best players don't always want to play in the Olympics or the FIBA World Cup especially. The World Cup rosters have always been made up of mostly young players. It's just that in hindsight, when you go back to the past World Cup rosters, you see rosters with Steph Curry, with James Harden, with Russell Westbrook, with DeMarcus Cousins, stuff like that. Of course, you see all those players. You're thinking, oh, those are guys that were superstars and they played in the World Cup. We've reached a point now where we've been dominating international play for so long that I'm not sure that playing especially in the World Cup, is as enticing to these top-level stars. And you also have to consider the fact that top three, four, arguably best players in the NBA are guys that aren't from the United States of America. Jokic is an international player. He's not going to play in FIBA because he's just coming off an NBA championship and stuff like that. He's already been there, done that. He's free to do as he as he chooses. He'd rather race horses in, in Serbia, to be honest. Let's be real. But Luka is playing for Slovenia. Giannis and his brother are playing for Greece. So when you think about who's going to be playing in Team USA going forward, it's the young stars that we have today. Now, I understand the problems that people have with this roster. Uh, I'm going to go through it real fast right now for anyone who isn't familiar. So the United States roster for the World Cup has Paolo Boncaro, Michael Bridges, Jalen Brunson, Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, Jaron Jackson Jr., Cameron Johnson, Walker Kessler is a rookie for the Utah Jazz, Bobby Portis, and Austin Reeves. Now, if you just look at the names that I just read, Obviously, there's only a few names that really jump out at you. Of course, Brandon Ingram has been an all-star multiple times. 
Austin Reeves is a known player, but he's very young. Jalen Brunson led the Knicks to the second round of the playoffs. Michael Bridges got traded to the Brooklyn Nets and instantly became a 20-point-per-game scorer. Jaron Jackson just with one defensive player of the year. But then you look at some of the other names. Bobby Portis, a six-man-of-the-year candidate for the Milwaukee Bucks. Walker Kessler's a rookie. Paolo Mancaro's also a rookie. Josh Hart is a role player for the Knicks, an important one at that, but still a role player. Cameron Johnson is a starter for the Brooklyn Nets. I understand you look at some of these names and you're like, man, why are we sending Bobby Portis to be our backup big? But you have to consider that the USA team, they're going to be very selective with who they choose. They're always going to prioritize building a cohesive unit over just an an abundance of talent. This is not an all-star game. We're not trying to build all-star teams. We're trying to build a team of players that complement each other and will be cohesive to winning. That was a problem in 2004. 2004 roster had a bunch of talent on it, and they couldn't get it done because they didn't play well together. We're talking about Tim Duncan was on that team, Allen Iverson, Stephon Marbury, a young Dwayne Wade, LeBron, and Melo didn't play too much. That team had a lot of NBA upper echelon talent, but they couldn't beat these international teams who you have to remember. These are groups of guys that are playing with each other for years and years and years through all these tournaments, the Eurobasket, through Euro, the EuroLeague, the FIBA, the Olympics. So these players, if we're talking about like a France or a Spain or an Argentina, they are got the, these, these group of guys have been playing together for a long, long time, building chemistry. Chemistry is one of the most underrated aspects of winning basketball. And that's something that the Team USA teams will never have in compared to those international teams. Because we, one summer, decide to pick a bunch of guys and throw them together. And they have about a couple weeks to figure out their chemistry and learn how to play with each other. That's difficult if you're picking all these star players and throwing them together. Now, of course, in 2008, with all the talent that they had, the Redeem team with LeBron, Kobe, Dwayne Wade, Melo, a team that works well together and knows how to play with each other while also being efficient offensively and defensively, they're going to beat out a team that has just an abundance of talent. We've seen it recently. In the 2020 Olympics uh, that were played in 2021, that's a team with Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, Zach Levine, Damian Lillard. There was a lot of great players on that team, guys that we look at as NBA superstars. And they lost a game to France, whose best player was arguably Evan Fournier, who rode the bench on the New York Knicks for the past season. So you see what I mean? Like how that changes once you put that in the international context of basketball. Of course, in the NBA, Evan Fournier is a bench player. And Kevin Durant and all these guys, they're superstars that average 25, 30 points per game. But once you get go to that international style of ball that's a little different, a little bit of different rules, the three-point line's a little closer, you can hit the ball off the rim once it hits, those kind of things. And then just how these groups of guys playing for their home country, this, you know, let's be real, this may mean more to them than it does to us. We've dominated basketball, as I've said for the past 30 years, we're kind of in a weird place where no one's really rooting for us to win. I'm sure there's many people who don't even know this World Cup is going on. But if we lose, if we don't win at the gold, 
Like silver and bronze doesn't matter. If we don't win the gold, it'll be bigger news that we lost than it will be if we win. So that's what this team has in mind when they put these rosters together. And and you got to remember, this is not the Olympics. In in a year or two, when they play the Olympics, I'm sure the upper echelon stars will play a Donovan Mitchell, a Jason Tatum, stuff like that, players like that. They'll play. But this World Cup team, I think, is good. You have a lot of good playmakers, some shooters, guys who play defense, guys who can play a role and fit with other with other players. And if you watched their exhibition game against Puerto Rico, now Puerto Rico doesn't have any NBA players on the roster, I don't believe. Jose Alvarado, I don't think, decided to play this in this World Cup. But... They played well together. They were able to turn Puerto Rico over a lot. That second half was incredible, incredibly dominant. And it's that cohesiveness that's going to help this team, USA, win. Now, some other NBA players that are playing in this tournament, but just not for the United States. Carl Anthony Towns is going to be playing for the Dominican Republic. Jordan Clarkson will be playing for the Philippines. Kyle Anderson will be playing for China. Kyle Anderson from the Grizzlies. Bojan Bogdanovic, the one from the Hawks, will be playing for Serbia along with Nikola Jovic, um, the young player for the Miami Heat who's been floated around in the Dame Lillard trade. Yeah, him. Luka Doncic, as I mentioned, is going to be playing for Slovenia. Giannis and Thanasis are going to be playing for Greece. Franz and Moritz Wagner with Dennis Schroeder are going to be playing for Germany. Nikola Vucevic from the Bulls is going to be playing for Montenegro. Jonas Valanciunas will be playing for Lithuania. Australia has many, many NBA players. Uh, I have to even get, I have to pull up the list, honestly, just to tell you. Australia has Xavier Cooks from the Wizards, Dyson Daniels from the Pelicans, Dante Exum, who found his way back into the NBA, Josh Giddy, Josh Green, Joe Ingles, Jock Landale, Patty Mills, Matisse Thibel, Jack White. Now, a lot of those names don't jump out to you because there are, a lot of these guys are role players. Uh, Josh Giddy is a great young player starter for the Thunder. But that's a lot of NBA talent just on one team. I mean, the only other team other than the United States, clearly, that has a lot of players. Canada also has a lot. And that brings me to my next question is, which of these other international teams can give this USA team trouble? And I think there's a few. For starters, the number one seed in the tournament is not the United States. It's actually Spain. Spain doesn't have an abundance of NBA players as they've had in the past in international play. Santi Aldama from the Grizzlies is going to be playing for Spain, and so is Usman Garuba from the Atlanta Hawks. But they're, again, a team with a philosophy that's won them a lot in international play. Spain has been a staple, of course, with the Gisal brothers back in the day. Ricky Rubio was going to play in this World Cup, but he has stepped away from the game to work on his mental health. And But Spain is going to definitely be a tough game for this Team USA team. I mentioned Canada and Australia, who both have a lot of NBA talent. Um, you heard who was on Australia. Canada has Jamal Murray, has Shea Gillis-Alexander, has R.J. Barrett, Dylan Brooks, Lou Dort, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Kelly Olenek, and Dwight Powell. Those are some names. Jamal Murray is coming off a championship. He didn't care. He's playing for Canada. Shy, who has admittedly become a little overrated, but still a great player, averaged 30 points per game this year. Our very own R.J. Barrett from the New York Knicks. I think Greece with Giannis is obviously going to be a tough challenge, not because I think Greece has a 
necessarily great team, but I think it's one of the few times in international play that Team USA will not have the best player on the floor. And we know how impactful Giannis can be and how great of a player he is. And we already know how passionate Giannis Antetokounmpo is. He's going to play well for his country. I mentioned Luka was going to be on Slovenia. Luka, obviously, we know the type of caliber player he is. We'll actually see Team USA take on Slovenia on Saturday in an exhibition game on Fox Sports 1. So we'll get a good look at what Luka on Slovenia looks like. Team USA will also play Greece in their run of exhibition games. That'll be on August 18th. And then one last team is a team already I mentioned, and that's a France team who once again will have Rudy Gobert and Evan Fournier playing. They beat the Olympic USA roster in a group play and then played them very close in the gold medal game. So those are going to be teams that are going to give the Team USA trouble because they have a comparable amount of NBA talent that will force Team USA to have to adjust to. When you know when you compare them to playing a team like New Zealand, for example, or a team like Puerto Rico. Now, Team USA is going to be in Group C, so they'll be in a group with Jordan, New Zealand, and Greece. So they will play Giannis and his brother Thanasis in group play. That's going to be interesting, given that Giannis will clearly be the best player on the floor. A rare time where a Team USA team doesn't have the best player on the floor in an international setting. But that's, you know, where the game is going. A lot of these countries are going to have NBA talent, and they're going to have great NBA talent, guys that we know, guys that perform at the highest level in the NBA as well as internationally. So that's all the logistical stuff with FIBA World Cup rosters and stuff like that. Now to the juicier part of where the conversation has now gone to is, you know, who was possibly snubbed. And I know everyone's immediately going to think of Trey Young because that's what's been in the news, what's been on Twitter. Now Trey Young was on, uh, he did an interview with Gilbert Arenas, of course. Gilbert Arenas, if if you don't know, back in the day, back in Gilbert Arenas' playing days, he was one of the finalists to make a Team USA team. He was on, I believe, either a select team or he was just part of the group that was in consideration. And he's talked about this, if you ever have seen his podcast. He talks about how he was, you know, busting everyone's ass, basically. You know, just giving everybody the work. And he was ended up being left off. Because, like I talked about in the beginning... Team USA is looking for certain type of players. And Gilbert Arenas, he was talking about this with Trey Young, how that rubbed him the wrong way. And he also mentioned Nike having an influence on this. Now, there's a bunch of athletes on Team USA team that aren't Nike athletes. So I don't know. Those are baseless, in my opinion. But I think he does have a point where Team USA is looking for a certain type of player. And it doesn't seem like Trey Young fits this mold. Now, Trey Young... I think he's being very much undervalued nowadays, and I'm not really sure why. If you look at his first five seasons in the NBA, which is where we're at, he has an Eastern Conference final run in 2021. Twice he's led the league in assists. For his career, he's averaging 25 points per game. He's averaged at least eight assists per game in all five seasons. He's the first player to lead the NBA 
in total points and total assist in 49 years. He has three playoff game winners. And he's without a doubt one of the best young players in the NBA. I don't understand why we're not giving him the credit that he deserves. There are players that if they have done this, they'd be a poster boy, a golden child. And that was actually a point Gilbert Arenas made. Talking about the New York series. Now, this is something that's that's two years ago. I don't think Trey Young should be hanging his hat on a first-round series against a team that evidently was not better than that Atlanta team, at least offensively. But basically what Gilbert Arenas said was, you know, what's crazy about the New York series is that if there were any other player, if Luka was that player, if he did what he did to the New York Knicks and Madison Square Garden, they would be a god. Now, I don't think he's wrong in that because it was Trey Young or for whatever reason, there's this stigma of Trey Young that he is not a valuable player or not very good. If it were another player, they probably would be looked that way. And Luka is looked at maybe a little more highly than he should be given what he's accomplished at this point in his career. And those two players are always going to be connected, Luka and Trey, because they were traded for each other on draft night. But I don't think this is some complicated thing from Team USA. I don't think it's a conspiracy or anything. I'm not even sure it's a hatred thing about Trey Young. Now, I commend Trey Young for saying that he's willing to play for Team USA and he hopes he gets the call for the Olympics. He was actually not selected in 2020 for the Olympics. He was he was left off the roster then too, but he was still a very young player at that point. It makes sense. Maybe they just decided to go with someone more seasoned. But this is simple, and I've said it already. Team USA prioritizes certain types of player, whether it's right to do so or not. It's not for me to decide. I think there's some merit to doing so. We'll see how this Team USA team performs. If they struggle scoring and they could have used a guy like Trey Young who gives you an easy 25, then they'll have a point. Trey Young and those who agree with the with Gilbert Arenas' sentiment, they'll have a point that Trey Young was wrongfully left off this team. I even maybe agree to a certain extent. I think he should be on this roster. I think he's good enough. He'd probably he'd probably be arguably the best player on the roster, along with Ingram and maybe Edwards. But it just comes down to what Team USA values in terms of team building. They went with Jalen Brunson, who proved to be a very good scorer this year, averaging 23, 24 points per game. Halliburton, who gives you 10 assists, a game in the regular season and also a 20-point-per-game score. Josh Hart, who that's been – that's a big target, obviously, because Josh Hart is a good player. He's not a great player. Comes off the bench for the Knicks. But he is someone who's very valuable, and his value is not always shown on the box score. And sometimes you need those type of guys. Every great team needs those type of guys, which is why we just saw the Knicks give Josh Hart that max extension. You need a guy like that who will do the dirty work, who will get down and rebound. And, he, and Josh Hart's a great rebounder for a guard. Averages average seven rebounds a game uh, in the 25 games he played for the Knicks last season. You need guys like that. They're going to play defense. And Austin Reeves the same way. Austin Reeves is a good defender. Also a scorer, very crafty. 
And of course, he has some Laker clout. I'm not going to deny that. Some people are very angry that about the Laker clout. It is what it is. He's but he's good, and he showed out in that exhibition game against Puerto Rico. And the truth of the matter is, Trey Young, despite the numbers he puts up and how skilled he is individually, has not proven to be a very valuable player. Given that the Hawks have struggled to have any type of success in the regular season. He has yet to prove that he can be an efficient scorer. And in you know in this situation, he's too small, not a good enough defender to be a two-guard. Now, Jalen Brunson is also small, but Jalen Brunson is bigger, a little thicker. It makes sense that Team USA went with these players over Trey Young. Hopefully, Trey Young makes the Olympics uh, because that's usually where the top talent decide to play. You know, we'll likely see Bam Adebayo probably come back, Jason Tatum, uh, Donovan Mitchell, Zach Levine, those type of guys uh, when it comes to the Olympics play because that's always viewed as more important. Now, I just mentioned Josh Hart got a max extension from the New York Knicks. I want to talk about that a little bit because, you know, Knicks Twitter, they've gotten into the habit this offseason about complaining about everything, and I just don't understand why. We had a relatively successful season. Of course, we didn't win the title, but we made the second round, beat a team that many viewed to be better than us in the Cleveland Cavaliers, and we ran into the team that was on a mission and ended up going to the finals of the Miami Heat. That's okay. You know, there's steps to success. I don't want to sound like Giannis Antetokounmpo after they lost in the first round, but there are steps to success, and this is a big step I think the Knicks just took in success. Now, Josh Hart is not a superstar player. But he is a winning player. You need a guy like Josh Hart on a championship team. For the Denver Nuggets this season, it was Bruce Brown. Their numbers don't jump off the page. And I know for box score watchers that that's all they can really evaluate is if a player puts up a bunch of numbers. There are guys that are very valuable in the NBA that don't score a bunch. Draymond Green is probably the best example of that. He does not score a bunch, especially now. He doesn't score at all. But he is one of the most important players for that Golden State team outside, aside from Steph Curry. He's the second, second most important player. There's people that argue he is the most important player. And the Warriors know that, which is why they just chose him to sign him, keep him, and trade Jordan Poole away. Josh Hart's not as good as Draymond Green. He's not a defensive player of the year type of, type of guy. But he's of that mold. He's that kind of player, that type of glue guy. And Josh Hart's best friends with Brunson. You know, we just signed another one of their Villanova teammates in Dante DiVincenzo. DiVincenzo also has a little bit of that to him, too. Um, I, I imagine Dante DiVincenzo is going to be more of a shooter than Josh Hart, probably. But Josh Hart, I'm very glad that they did this. It shows a commitment to Josh Hart himself. And also their commitment to building stability and working towards the ultimate goal, which is winning a title. Now, I know for some Knicks fans, this is not enough. Knicks fans are waiting to get a superstar and they want the front office to pull the trigger on. I don't know who exactly, because you can pick out something wrong with every star player that probably would be available. If you're looking at Cat, Lillard, Harden, or Zion. But I think... Knicks fans have to look at this with some type of patience. They got to understand that there's steps to be made. I know a lot of fans are not happy about running it back with basically the same roster. I'm not thrilled about it either. 
But you got to understand that we have a lot of young players, and if they take leaps, like Quentin Grimes, we're going to see how R.J. Barrett performs in this FIBA World Cup. Usually guys who play internationally end up having a big season following the next year. If you remember back, Steph Curry in 2014 played in the World Cup. The next season, he won the MVP. Now, I'm not saying R.J. Barrett's going to win the MVP, but I'm just saying that leap that we want to see from our young players, we got to wait for it. we got to be patient for it. I understand we want to win a title right now, and we possibly had a season where we had a chance to maybe even make a finals run. The, the eighth seed made the finals. But I think we have to stand pat. The right superstar will come forth, and when that time comes, we'll pull the trigger and we make the trade that has to be happen. You can't be mad that the Knicks are being patient when – and, and then also have been mad back in the day when we pulled triggers on trades that were terrible. The, Car- the Carmelo Anthony trade, as great as a player Carmelo Anthony was, it was a terrible trade for us. It was two steps forward while also taking two steps back. We had a star, but we weren't any better than we really were the season before. It took us two seasons to make the playoffs. And then when we did, we got beat the first time by Miami in five. And then the next season, we were really good, beat the Celtics in six, and then we lost in the second round. Very similar to what we are now. And then the Knicks never made the playoffs again, uh, at least with Carmelo Anthony. We, in 2021, that was the first time we'd made the playoffs in seven years. So I'm being patient. I'm happy with this extension. I hope an Emmanuel quickly extension is on the horizon. Speaking of these contract extensions, is actually uh, – made me realize something and and my cousin who I was talking to uh, several days ago there seems to be a heavy emphasis on the money anytime someone signs a contract everyone's like ah oh, he's overpaid he's underpaid this this and that it's the same thing in the NFL with the uh, quarterback contracts oh Hibbert signed for this much Joey Burrow signed for this much who's the highest paid player like all that stuff. Why has that now been so much of an issue? And I think it's something that we have, as fans, got to realize. That not only that this is a business, um, that's obvious. But the fact that the ultimate goal, I think, for a lot of players, athletes in general, but I think more so in the NBA because we see the cap going up all the time and we see the money going higher and higher we just saw Jalen Brown sign a five-year, $300 million contract. That a lot of these players, the money is the main goal. A lot of these players. There's a small percentage of the superstars who understand their legacy value in the NBA. And, of course, they're going to want to win. They're going to want to win titles. Everyone will say they want to win titles. It's great. But the ultimate goal for a lot of these guys is to get paid. It is what it is. It's a job. At the end of the day, it's a job, and they want to get paid. Look at how Jokic uh, celebrated at the end of the finals. He said, you know, he was didn't cry, he wasn't jumping and screaming. Not that he necessarily had to, but you could tell he treated the NBA like a job, and that's what it is at the end of the day. Fans, I think, care more about winning the majority of players. Of course, fans want their teams to win. And I think organizations are trying to win, but only one team wins a title every year. The majority of NBA titles in NBA history have been won by eight franchises when there's 30 of them. Players understand that winning a championship is very circumstantial. 
And winning a championship at the end of the day does not have a huge impact on your life. It, it has an impact on how players may view you, how the media views you, how fans view you. But at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. I think players are starting to realize that. And I've started to realize it with all these player podcasts and the way they talk, the way they tell stories and stuff. They care about the money. They care about playing basketball. And that's kind of it. The winning comes, of course, with playing basketball. And at some point, players do want to win. But winning a championship, I think, is not as valuable to players today as it was maybe in the past. Or maybe it's just not as enticing. And that's, maybe the media has something to do with that. We were constantly counting rings, constantly uh, breaking athletes down just because they don't win a title you know and that's the whole thing Damian Lillard that's been his whole point I think now he's just finally got tired of losing because obviously no one wants to lose but I think just competing is enough for a lot of NBA players and I think the contracts we're only going to see him go up yeah I understand that Jalen Brown's contract looks ridiculous in five years and may be it may not look as bad when he's well into it we may see somebody sign for 350 million 400 million when Luca's a free agent in a few seasons, he may sign a five-year, $400 million max. That's just where the money is going. I just think it's interesting how we look at, you know, how we're viewing these contracts and how we're constantly talking about it. My cousin was like, I don't remember this much talk about money. And you could even relate it to the emphasis on sports betting and stuff like that now that's been pushed in sports. I mean, you can't watch a game of anything Without them mentioning the odds for this, the odds for that, having a partnership with FanDuel or Caesar Sportsbook or Bet, you know, Bet365 or something like that. And I'm not saying this as a bad thing. I think it's great that all these guys, from whatever background they come from, get to play the game that they love and provide for their families and have generational wealth that will pass down to their children and their grandchildren. That is fantastic. That is great. But I think fans lose sight of that and think that all these players are playing for us to win a title at the end of the year. That's not the case. And I think we have to stop criticizing players for maybe not doing everything in their power to try and put themselves in position to win. Only one team wins the title every year. Only a handful of NBA greats have won multiple NBA titles. Not everyone cares about the legacy stuff. They really don't. A lot of players, I think, look sourly at the media and all the narrative spewing that they do. Players don't care about none of that. They care about playing basketball, enjoying their lives, making money, providing for their families. I think fans don't get that for some reason. More of the people I talk to, I don't understand why you don't understand that. There's more to this than just winning the title. And maybe that sounds backwards to how we're taught about sports and how we treat competition. Um in sports, and even just in general, in life, because we live in such a competitive society, that there are people doing things in their lives just to better themselves instead of trying to win this award championship for their accomplishments. I think it's something to keep in mind as we see all these players sign for big money and stuff like that. Now, that is all for episode six of the True Shoes podcast. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on TikTok at Truish Hoops for more basketball content. And 
you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at OZPDan. Thanks for listening. Be back next week with another episode. Have a great day.